This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. How's everybody doing out there? This is podcast episode number 63, Tuesday, March 21st. A lot of interesting topics to talk about today. And, of course, we are brought, uh, brought by the great people at Bet Rivers. And Bet Rivers, uh, of course, has the greatest app in the world. Uh, I've, been, uh, I've been hot and I've been cold. But I've been using the Bet Rivers app for March Madness. With all this nuts and craziness going on, uh, I've been playing strict money line stuff. And they give you the option to do that. I, I even hit a game at halftime. Uh, I took the team that was losing at halftime, getting six and a half points. They wound up winning the game easy. So it's on easy street. Get that Bet Rivers app. And, of course, we have our Pickadelphia contest that's still going on where you can win an easy win, a $100 gift card. You get the most correct picks. And this is, involves all Philadelphia area basketball hockey teams. Uh, and, uh, of course, you get the Villanova women that are still left in, in the NCAA tournament field. All you got to do to play the contest is go to the website, betriversforfree.com. That's betrivers, the number four, free, F-R-E-E dot com. Check it out. And uh, hopefully you get lucky. All right. Uh, later in the podcast today, we're going to hear from our pal Larry Boa on the Phillies as we hooked up with him at spring training last week when we were down there. I had some really interesting observations on the Phillies and also the fact that he played on that AstroTurf where there's now really a, a lot of speculation on that AstroTurf being toxic and causing uh, brain cancer in several players and, and, uh, and people who work down there at the time of that stadium. We'll get Larry's take on that. And, and Thursday, you don't want to miss Thursday's podcast. Thursday's podcast, special guest, CBS basketball analyst, panelist star, Jay Wright, the former Villanova coach, will join us on Thursday. So put that on your calendar. Do not miss that. Uh, okay, so, uh, but first, uh, let's, let's start with the, the current events that we need to talk about when it comes to Philadelphia sports. And number one on our list today the Eagles free agency coming to an end with the big story being that they lost the one guy I thought was really necessary for them to sign. Actually, I thought two guys were necessary for them to sign one being Hargrave that he got 21 million with the 49ers. So I get that. But CJ Gardner Johnson to me was a very important person and now they don't have him. So let's, let's, uh, let's peel back the onion on, on this particular situation. So here's the deal. C.J. Garner-Johnson signs a one-year deal with the Detroit Lions for $8 million. Now, right away, that tips me off that the Lions aren't even sure about this guy, right? They give him a one-year deal, prove a deal at $8 million. So it's not like they were enamored with the guy. They're going, okay, we'll, we'll take a chance on you at $8 million. Uh, now, here's the thing about C.J. Garner-Johnson. If you looked at his behavior in the past, and even with the Eagles and you know, social media, he's probably a pain in the ass, right? So uh, here's the story. The, the reports say that the Eagles did offer him a multi-year contract, um, and he wanted more. So uh, as far as we can tell from reports, the multi-year contract, at least what his agency is putting out there, and 
this is peculiar in itself. You've never really seen agency show their cards and throw that out there uh, uh, to, to defend their own client. But they say the Eagles offered him, yeah, a three-year deal. However, it was way backloaded. $24 million three-year deal, but, but 17 of the $24 million would come in the third year. Which means in the first couple of years, I mean, you could do the math yourself. That's uh, that's seven million. So he signed a deal with the Lions for eight million dollars a year, and his agency puts it out. All right, do the math yourself. One year at eight million is better than than three years where you're not getting the, the seventeen million until the third year, and you're only getting seven million. Uh, so if, if that's true, okay, I get where the agency is coming from. However. The Eagles also had a chance to match the Lions' one-year, $8 million deal, which to me is a no-brainer, right? You can find $8 million somewhere to sign another starting player. So here's my spin on this situation. A, they realized he was a pain in the ass. B, when he balked at the original contract, they're going, oh, boy, uh, it's not worth dealing with this dude now, and now he's pushed us all the way to the brink, so we're going to allocate this money to the other guys. We're going to get Bradbury. We didn't think we were going to get a chance to get Bradbury. We'll take this money. We'll put it towards Bradbury. And then we'll re- reorganize the Slay situation. We'll get him in tow. And cornerback is a more important position than safety. So uh, we've got a safety, Blankenship, who we think can start. And we can find another safety. And we'll go over those those safeties in, in a second. So um, it, 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 this is really it's a universal sports management is his agency. I, I don't know who else they represent. Um, but uh, it, it's really interesting that they tweeted out the 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 basics of, of of this contract, which tells you the Eagles really didn't want C.J. Garner Johnson, and you know, that's that's the bottom line. They really didn't want him, uh, and because he probably is a pain in the ass, and they're going past the the the, the period where they have pain in the ass players. They want everybody unified, uh, and this guy didn't give them that vibe. So um, listen. The, this does not help the Eagles. I you know there's a lot of people out there that love to laud the Eagles for standing up, right? Standing up to players. And I go, what do you get out of that? Well, what is that? Like if the Eagles were a losing team, you'd be the first one to bitch about it, right? But now they're a winning team. They can't do anything wrong. Well, they did something wrong here. If, if you think they're better off without C.J. Garner-Johnson, you, you're mistaken. And, and the fact that they could have had him for $8 million to me is like, Cutting off your nose despite your face. So I, I'm not gonna like be Homer uh, uh, Simpson here and go, oh boy, the Eagles stood up. Good for them. It doesn't make their team any better that they stood up. And I have to laugh at people who who go this now. Uh, uh, let's go into some other free agents because now, listen, they've got to get a linebacker and they've got to get a safety. Now they they can draft a safety. Um, can he be a starting player in his first year? I mean, I don't know. That's always precarious. There's a kid from Alabama that they really like. Or they can go out and sign a free agent that might be a little lower priced. So, uh, Darren, I want to bring you in since you're Mr. Football. Uh, I want to bring you in the free agent tracker. Uh, and I'm going to bring the first one up because I think this is, a, again, a, a provincial look from Eagle fans. Uh, because you've got a nickname, the Green Goblin. Right, so so Jalen Mills is a friend. Oh, let's get Jalen Mills. Let's get the Green Goblin back because his his mohawk was dyed eagle green, and it's cool. <laughs> and I go, come on, man, seriously, uh, and that's not overvalue a player for what he can bring here. So, uh, all right, let's look at the players. First of all, your your opinion on the Green Goblin? Uh, he's versatile. That's good, but I don't like going backwards. I don't know what he has left in the tank. And this is going to be basically the same answer for for pretty much everybody that's out there at this point. Um, ironically, they did sign a safety yesterday, Justin Evans, who played for the Bucks, played for the Saints, often injured. The ironic nugget of that is he's also represented by the same agents that represent Gardner Johnson. So I thought that was interesting. But yeah, yeah I mean, Goblin, uh, you, you know, I don't know what he has left. But he's versatile. Maybe bring him in for a look. See if he has any. Uh, see if he has his feet left. All right. So let's uh, let's get some uh, some so shed some light on this. Uh, I think they can do a lot worse than Adrian Amos. Darren, what do you think of Adrian Amos at age twenty nine being um, signed as a free agent with the Eagles for a year? I, I like Amos. I, I think you can get him. Uh, 
fairly inexpensive. He's a guy who's played well the last couple of years. He's 29 years old. He's still got a couple of years left in the tank. He's somebody, he's probably the first person I would look to bring in for a workout. All right. Sounds good. All right. So that's our Eagle chat for today. Uh, it's the Eagles are, are a weekly conversation, no matter what they do, what they don't do. Uh, and this was a pretty interesting thing with uh, she, she, Jay Gardner Johnson, because I tabbed him as the, the, a major must sign. Uh, and so did Hargrave and Nanny and any of them. But uh, so to, to recap what they've lost and what they've gained. OK, here, here's what they've lost. They've lost Hargrave. They lost uh, Sanders. They lost Epps. They lost Sayamalu. They lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They lost T.J. Edwards. They lose uh, Kaiser White. And they lose Zach Pascal. Um, and two uh, coordinators, by the way. All right? So that's significant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't seem to affect the Eagle fan base because they seem to have filled in. They they got uh, Cox back under contract. They got BG under contract for, uh, for some depth. They signed Penny as a running back. Uh, they uh, got a backup quarterback, Darren's favorite player, in, uh, in, in Mariota. Uh, and so where we stand now, they'll need a linebacker and a safety, and they will probably acquire those. They won't draft a linebacker. They may draft a safety, uh, but they'll probably sign a, a linebacker in free agency. All right, so that's that's our Eagle chat for today on the podcast. All right, let's move on to the Sixers. They lose last night to the Bulls in double overtime and beat fouled out in the second overtime, which uh, spelled their doom there. Uh you know, listen, it's a random loss in an NBA season. They're still hovering in that second-place spot, uh, which is fine by me. Second or third is fine. Either team that they're going to play uh, in that uh, second round, uh, to me, is still going to be formidable for them, Boston or Milwaukee. But the, the interesting part about the Sixers this week was what uh, George Carl had to say. George Carl, former NBA coach. I don't know why he's, he's still relevant and people ask for his opinion. Uh, but they do. And um, to me, his opinion, um, he, this is an example for me of the game passing somebody by who's been in the league for a really long time and says something without even watching the games significantly. I, I, I can tell that George Carl's not hanging on every dribble to fill every 76ers. So when asked about the, the, the age uh, old uh, discussion about who should be the MVP, Jokic or Embiid, he weighs in, of course, He's used to coach Denver, so he's Mr. Uh, Jokic. And uh, his rationale for not uh, having Embiid as the MVP is that uh, he doesn't like Embiid taking plays off, and um, he doesn't like his body language at times. And I'm going, the guy is freaking leading the league in scoring, <laughs> and, and he's got double-doubles up the wazoo every game. The Sixers, meanwhile, are in second place in, in the Eastern Conference. And I'm going, where are you coming from here? What, what, is he, what more does he want from MB? Does he want him to be Wilt? You want to, he has to average 50 points and, and 20 rebounds to get your attention? He's clearly the best player in the league this year. So I don't understand these guys that say he takes too many plays off and Jokic is this much better because of that. Jokic is a great player. I get it. This year, Embiid's the MVP. It's simple as that. I mean, Jokic, obviously, he's got triple-doubles every night, and the triple-doubles lead to Denver winning. But he doesn't play defense like Embiid does. Embiid's just having a better year. This is one year where Embiid's having a better year than Jokic. He should be the MVP. And freaking guys like George Carl should stay in their home and uh, do whatever they do in retired life, like me. That's a good life. You got a good life now. I'm just relaxing. Like, I'm not preaching every Tom, Dick, and Harry that Jokic should be the MVP. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's move on to the Flyers. Big story this week. First of all, uh, Danny Briere looks like he's going to be the GM, right? Did they remove the interim tag from him? Is they've settled on Danny Briere as the GM? I don't know if they have, but they, they have said they will. He's probably, he's probably going to be the GM. Now, does this change the landscape at all? He's a former Flyer. Now, he's supposed to be more analytical and hip than the way they've been running the organization. So uh, our buddy, who we've had on this podcast, Marcus Hayes, writes a column that um, Dave Scott, the CEO of uh, Spectacor, uh, Comcast Spectacor, is, uh, made the decision to get Briere in there without consulting the holy trinity of old flyers who have run this organization for decades. And, of course, we're talking about Bob Clark, 
Bill Barbara, and uh, Paul Holmgren. Uh, and, and, and the story says that they were not in on the decision. Now, this has rankled some old flyers, including our old buddy Chris Terrian, who we had on this show, one of the great interviews we've had on the podcast. And Terrian got his panties in a bunch about this. God forbid that we, we slander the Holy Trinity. I remember Terrian ripping Bill Barber as not knowing what the hell he was doing anyway when he was on this podcast. But th- that's another story. Uh, I have been saying for years, and, and this is why I get hate from Flyer fans. I spotted this trend when I first started doing Sports Talk Radio back in the 90s, when I said there is no way the Flyers would ever win a Stanley Cup with Bob Clark as a general manager. Why did I say that? Because I dislike Bob Clark? Well, I think he's a bitter cur of a man, but that's beside the point. I looked at his performance as a GM, and I said he's not a modern thinker. And the Flyers for years buried themselves by not modern thinking. The game transformed into speed, and the Flyers never caught up. And they had that moment of glory with, with Lindros and the Legion of Boom and all that. And I get it. The Legion of Doom. Sorry. Uh, so the mindset, I, I remember you on the radio being attacked by Flyer fans. Because I said, you need a fire hose to clean this whole thing out. Enough of these ex-Flyers from the 70s that, that, that give this cloud over an organization that needs to progress. I even advocated changing the colors and the logo. Who has a one-dimensional logo anymore in the NHL? Make it 3D for crying out loud. You want to keep the puck with the damn wing. But change the colors. Everybody in the NHL has a fresh look except the Flyers. And this old mindset just permeates. And it's why they are in the situation they are in now. So I don't know if Danny Briere is is going to help this situation. He is an ex-Flyer. Those guys are still going to be there. They're going to be there for life. And I have to laugh when I read tweets that say, Mr. Snyder's probably rolling over in his grave. Mr. Snyder is the one that set up this hierarchy. I mean, I, I listen, I, I appreciate the fact he's passed away. I don't mean any disrespect. He's the one that gave this flyer attitude through the whole thing when he said, we don't need a fresh perspective. Remember him barking that several years ago? Well, they needed a damn fresh perspective. They needed it for years. So what Marcus Hayes wrote, I don't know if it's true. I don't really care that it's true. The fact is, the mindset has to change where these ex-Flyers, and God bless them for their contributions to the organization, and I know they're heroes. Get out! Change things around. Get some fresh look in there and turn this franchise around. All right. That's enough with the Flyers. All right, let's talk about the World Baseball Classic. <laughs> you know, uh, First of all, let me, let me just rip people who've seen a couple injuries in the World Baseball Classic and tweet out, you see this? This World Baseball Classic is terrible. Look what it's doing to the players. Are you serious? Like, anybody could get hurt. Altuve get hit with a pitch. Well, he could have got hit with a pitch in a spring training game? Uh, what are we talking about here? It's ridiculous. And Diaz gets hurt and rips his patellar attendant in a celebration. In a celebration. If I could say one thing to these guys, the celebrations, calm them down. Everybody seems to get hurt in there because they do it with reckless abandon and they're not thinking about their bodies at the time. What does that have to do with the World Baseball Classic? If you have not been watching the World Baseball Classic, it's a shame because it's been dwarfed by March Madness. You are missing some great baseball with nationalistic fervor. I mean, the other night, Trey Turner, it's a grand slam. The, the USA is in peril of being eliminated in the tournament. Trey Turner, it's a grand slam to rescue him. And then hits a, another home run later in a, in a, in a game uh, where they advance to the final. And USA is in the final. And, why, you don't like that? And then last night I'm watching a game, and here's Mexico and Japan going toe-to-toe. Oh, my God, Mexico's got them on the ropes. These phenom 21-year-old pitcher who throws 102 miles an hour with breaking stuff off the chart gives up a three-run home run, and Japan's down 3 nothing. And then they come back and they tie it on a changeup where a guy flicks his back, gets his bad head on the ball, and hits it out to deep right to tie the score. And then Mexico goes back ahead, and Japan wins it in the end with Otani leading off an inning with a double. I mean, my God, that game last night was insane. So I love it. And now we set up. Now we're doing this Tuesday afternoon. Later today, the USA will play Japan for the championship. Um, 
I, I don't know what's going to happen in this game, okay? Because the USA's pitching is probably lesser than what Japan's going to throw out there. However, Japan had to throw a lot of pitchers last night. It's tough to come back to back. The USA team has a day to rest in, in this game. So if they if they can, you know, and they're going to go, like they're going to throw the whole sink at them. So these guys are going to come in for one inning, two innings at the most to try to get enough outs to win this game. Uh, but it's really going to be exciting. And if Japan wins it, they win it. Maybe it means more to Japan to win it. Uh, Otani's a guy that probably should not even be playing in this because of his great major league career. And he's out there trying to win it for his country. I think it's admirable. And I think it's a disgrace that some of these American starting pitchers didn't want to get involved in it. And and that their, uh, their general managers told them not to get involved. Come on, man. This is nationalistic pride. It takes the game up a notch. Am I right, Darren? Mike, I, these games have been phenomenal. I texted you last night. I've been watching all these games. Last night, the Japan-Mexico semifinal was one of the greatest baseball games I've ever seen. It's given the whole world exposure to these young international stars. That kid, that starter for Japanese last night, for, for, for the Japanese, for Japan last night, he was 21 years old. I think 19 of his 20, first 26 pitches were over 100 miles an hour. This kid's going to be a star in the major leagues. I can't wait to see. There's a couple uh, pitchers from Japan last night that are going to be in the majors in a couple of years. I'm telling you, these games have been great. Six years. Well, the 21-year-old, yes. But there's another kid, Mamata, who's the, the kid who's uh, the, Yamada, who was the MVP twice uh, of his league. I think he'll be in the, in the majors in like two years. All right, so here's the big question for tonight. Will Otani pitch? He says he's available in relief. Would Japan go, yo, Holmes, how about you start? How about you start this game and give us three innings? You think he turned that assignment down? He would never turn that assignment down if he's asked to start. Gets them off to a good start, blanks the Team USA, and then they piece a meal it for the rest of the I don't know what's going to happen, but Otani says he's going to pitch. And, of course, Otani... Uh, all likelihood, if he pitches, we'll have to pitch to his teammate, Mike Trout. How compelling of an at-bat do you think that would be? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the drama tonight is going to be fantastic. Uh, you Darvish was going to start for Japan. He's not now. They got another kid who's going to start tonight in his place. Otani's definitely going to pitch a couple innings tonight, right? Yeah, Darvish is going to pitch. So they're going to get in the pen. They got Darvish and Otani coming out of the pen. So whoever starts for him gets through the first few innings. The Team USA could be in trouble. Yeah, it's it's a it's a monumental task tonight for this USA lineup. But the USA lineup is the best. I will be I will be glued. I will be glued to that game. Every pitch of that game. Same here. I can't wait for this game tonight. Okay, that's our baseball uh, uh, issue for today. But guess what? Uh, we have more baseball coming your way because uh, last week at spring training, uh, we touched base with our pal Larry Boa. Now, if there's a, a Mr. Baseball in that Phillies organization, it's this guy. Larry's in his 70s now. He looks fantastic. He hits fungos. He throws BP. He looks like he hasn't missed a beat. And we are fortunate enough to sit down and talk some ball with Larry Boa at number 10. It's the Mike Yusinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. We are talking to the great Larry Boa here at spring training. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Uh, spring training's been pretty good here. I like to have all our guys, but WBC, you know, but uh, they're ready to go. The attitude's great. Thompson, the coaching staff have done a great job. It's just a matter of health, Mike. If we can stay healthy, I don't, I don't see any reason why we can't get to where we want to go. Uh, can you hold down the floor without Harper for that long? I think we can. I mean, are we going to miss Harper? Yeah, that's a big bat. But, you know, we he was out last year, and we sort of held our own. I, I just think our lineup top to bottom is pretty deep. But, again, we're going to be much better when he gets in the lineup. But I think we can we can hold our own until he gets back. What's the uh, attitude or uh, when you come back from losing a World Series – does it make you hungrier to win, or or is there you have to allow for some complacency? How's that work? I don't you've th- been in that situation. Yeah, I don't think there's any complacency here. These guys all came in in good shape. Uh, they were talking about, hey, we needed to win two more games. I, I like the attitude. The only difference, as you well know, you've been covering sports. We're going to be the hunted this year. Last year we snuck up on some people. There's no question about it. And if there were, if there wasn't a third wild card, 
we don't get in. So I think they understand that uh, teams are going to be looking at us this year saying, hey, this is a pretty good ball club here. I don't think you have to worry about complacency. I really do. We don't because hey, we haven't done what we want to do. You want to win a ring. The one that really counts is the World Series ring. But, uh, as an infielder, um, obviously um, Bo made some strides last year. Uh, so first of all, what did you see that improved him as a fielder? First of all, his first steps become really good. Bobby Dickerson's done a great job with him. He goes out there every day and works. He, he's become, you know, it was before, uh, I'll be the first to admit, when I first saw him, I didn't think he could play third. When I, saw, I scouted him in college, he's made drastic strides. They're unbelievable strides. Uh, but it's up through Bobby and his work ethic. His work ethic's off the charts. So I see him really improving down there. I don't think uh, right now when they say, oh, we need a third baseman, I have to say – I say negatory on that. I've watched this kid really improve, and uh, he's got a lot of confidence right now. He's going to have a good year offensively. This guy can hit. I, I mean, I always looked at him like he was flexible enough to play a position. He, he seemed athletic enough to be able to move. So when you talk about first step, what do you mean by that? Well, off the bat, it seemed like his reaction time wasn't real good, and Bobby's got him in a better preset position. Uh, he can go right or left. He's got him reading hops better whether to come and get the ball or back up and get the long. The in-between hop is the hop that you don't want to get. You either want to get the short one or back up and get the long hop. And he's been able to read those off the bat unbelievable. But, again, it's repetitions day in and day out. He's on that half field every single day. And especially the games he doesn't play, he's out there even longer. So I, I just think overall his mindset is, hey, I can play up here. Let's look at second base now. There's just shift of position. And um, playing second base is different than shortstop. Spins different. The ball comes off differently. Uh, what are you seeing in Stott making that uh, transition? I don't think it's going to be a problem at all. In fact, he played some games there last year. Uh, he's got great hands, got a good arm, makes the pivot good. You know, everything's reversed there, as you well know. You don't get to see the runner as much. But with the new rules and everything, it's hard to go and break up a double play. It's an automatic double play if you touch the guy. So I don't think there's going to be any, any adjustment. I think what you're going to see, Mike, is with no shift, you're going to see some athleticism. You're going to see guys make plays. You're going to go – you know, it's easy to play, put three on one side and say, oh, that guy's a good infielder. I want to watch guys when there's only two on one side. And I think Stott's got the, that ability to make real good plays. He makes all the routine plays. He's going to hit. Uh, he acts like he's been in the big leagues. And I don't mean this as a detriment. He's got confidence. He, he, if you talk to him, you think he'd be in the big leagues for 10 years. He's that confident. He gives you good at bats. I mean, last year I know average-wise, I don't know what he hit, 220, 230. But every time he got in the box, it kind of looked like it was 0-2, and before you realize it, it's 3-2. and He can work a pitcher. He's got a two-strike approach. I think he's going to be a very good player in the big leagues. The, the bigger bases, as an infielder, when you look at the bigger bases, <laughs> old-school guys like you know laugh at it. But, but that, how, does that make an infielder's job easier, or does it make the base runner's job easier? I think it makes the base runner's job easier. I really do. And then you put the oven mitt on. You're talking six inches, man. I mean, I, what, what are we doing here? And the, sometimes getting thrown out is bang, bang at second base. you got a bigger base that's, what, three inches? Now you got the oven mitt another three inches? You're talking a half a foot. Uh, I don't understand it, but, hey, there, there's a couple rules that I don't understand. But it, it is what it is now, and you got to be able to roll with the, the new times of how to play the game of baseball now. What is the shortstop that make it easier for you to pick? You were the, one of the great – Phantom double play. You, know, you were so quick. And sometimes you know you, you cheated a little bit, and they they would give it to you. They would give it to you. Yeah. So like this, you can't cheat now. If the base is bigger, or our umpire's going to look at it like, yeah, touch that. It's big. Oh, it's oh a big yeah. Enough. Oh yeah. You're not going to be able to cheat. You're not going to be able to get the neighborhood really. And I had umpires when I played. Those guys tried to knock me in the left field, and it didn't matter if it was dirty or if it was clean. So they would always say, "Hey, this guy comes in hard." Just give me a decent look there, and you kick dirt or something. But now with the replay, all you got to do now at second base is have a strong arm. Because if you hit a guy that's – if he's off the base, uh, say, a foot, 18 inches, they're going to call it a make double play. So you, there's no need to – you don't have to worry about getting hit. If you get hit, it's going to be an automatic double play. But uh, I don't understand why the, the – I understand it at first base – trying to keep the first baseman healthy and ball goes inside the line there from a throw from the left side of the infield. But, uh, you know, I guess he thinks it's going to improve base running. Uh, when I say he, the commissioner, thinks you're going to get more stolen bases with the pickoff rules, the bigger bases. 
and we'll see. I, I, I can't remember the last time I saw a pitch out, if you think about it. They don't pitch out. Now you're going to might have to – you're going to see some pitch outs. You throw over there twice and you don't get the guy. If you throw over there a third time, it's a balk. So now I think you're going to see more pitch outs and more – more strategy in the game. Yeah, easy to steal bases, that's for oh, sure. No you, you, you lay it. I, no I, I, I love the older school guys when, it, when it, you know, you're looking at these new rules and you, you're kind of blanched out. Because you're taught like to take out a guy at second base, and as an infielder, you would try to take out somebody at oh, second no base, and, it's, and, and you have to protect yourself. That was all part of, of the, the whole game. There's no question. I mean, you get a guy first and third, and I'm going to bring up Hutt when he hit the guy in New York. It was first and third. That was a big run at third base. When you got on first base and it was first and third and, and one out, your job was to do something to get that run in. And if you really look at Utz's play, uh, I don't think it was a dirty play, but the shortstop tried to make a double play ball that wasn't. His back was to Utley running, and Utley did what he was supposed to do. Uh, but now... That's an automatic uh, double play. Oh, no yeah. question. Now, <laughs> it, it wouldn't even be debatable. Two outs, I mean, three outs change sides. But, you know, that was part of the strategy, the competitiveness. You want to break up a double play. And I'm not saying being dirty, Mike, as you well know. You can go in there hard. You can do a pop-up slide. But you can't do that stuff anymore. i got to shift this conversation because in today's inquiry was the big story about uh, Vet Stadium, AstroTurf, and and all that, and and the cancer situations that develop with a few of your teammates and colleagues. you look great, first of all. You're healthy as a horse. I, I feel good. Yeah, so uh, like, you, you, this has been talked about for a lot of years, this whole thing. Uh, what, what has been your position on this whole thing? People say, yes, there are carcinogens in it. Some people say, no, no, it couldn't happen that way. It's coincidence. W- what's your overall opinion? When it, all this happened, I didn't think anything of it. And the more I read articles, I'm starting to scratch my head a little bit. Uh, that used to be a landfill there. Uh, and now you put that, that turf in, that uh, the chemicals, I guess they've proven that it can create problems. Um, I don't think all that can be coincidental anymore. And I'm not saying that's the reason my, my good buddies passed away, but it makes you think a little bit. And I, you know, I was on that turf a lot, man, and uh, maybe I was fortunate. I don't know. But the guys that we've lost, way too young, way too young, and uh, they all played on the turf. A couple of people in Kansas City played on the turf. I can't sit here and say that's the reason they passed away, but the more articles I read, I'm saying, hey, maybe there, there's something to this. We, obviously, you came up right when that was installed. Uh, and uh, from an influencer standpoint, it's like, okay, truer hops. Would I, they're going to get to you quicker, but truer What was your first impression of AstroTurf? That, that AstroTurf. I, I thought it was pretty cool. And, and they were cookie-cutter stadiums. Everybody had them. The only thing that made it tough is you had to play deeper because those balls got on you. Uh, but I, at first, I thought it was great. You know, like you said, I thought it was a big adjustment when we went to the West Coast because they were all grass and dirt, so you had to go out and take ground balls. You have a tendency to lay back on balls on AstroTurf because they get to you much quicker. But at that time when I was coming up, I said, man, this is nice. But as I look back on it, you know, I, if I knew what was going to happen or look into a crystal ball, I'd say, no, I, I wouldn't want to play on that stuff. What was it like playing at the vet? Because you not only had that, you had, uh, like, diesel uh, trucks in the, in the concourse. <laughs> really, it was, it was a horrible atmosphere. It was until, until we, in 80. Then you get 65,000 people in there. <laughs> I mean, uh, when you win here, I mean, I, I didn't look at all that stuff when I was playing like you just mentioned. Uh, I looked at the product we were putting out there. I looked at the fan reaction, how they came out in droves from about 75 on when we had the real good teams. But now you look at the new stadiums and you say, I mean, it would been nice to play at Citizens Bank Ballpark. I mean, who knows? I might have hit 30 home runs. <laughs> but, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I don't know. I, at that time, when you're playing, you don't think about all that other stuff, but the fact that you mentioned it, yeah, there were some things that probably I mean, you'd be in, scratching your head saying, For man. you to get to the locker room, you had to walk in that corridor, oh, where, that concrete corridor, and diesel fumes were all over oh, the place. It was, it, it was, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of health hazards there that you look back on, but when you're playing, you don't, you don't think any of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, so you didn't have any health problems that you can attribute to, to Knock playing on wood, that. I don't, Mike. You know, maybe I was lucky, or maybe I've been lucky, I should say. Uh, but... It, to see Dutch and, and Vuk, two guys that 
were really close to me, David West, um, you know, you just shake your head and say, I hope that's not the reason that they passed away, because if it is, that, that, that's, that's really bad if that's the reason, the main reason. Um, let's switch it to the World Baseball Classic, which is now the um, Team USA starting to play a little bit. And looking at the lineup, and I'm just you got to be kidding me with that lineup from top to bottom. But the pitcher, the pitcher, pitching staff is weak. It's it's a it's it's not a great rotation, which doesn't believe it or not make them the favorite. So uh, explain the dynamic on why pitchers don't want to pitch in that. Well, I don't know if it's the pitchers that don't want to pitch. I think it's a lot of general managers. Yeah. I know you can't tell a guy he can't go. But they can make suggestions saying, hey, you know, we got a chance to be in the playoffs this year. I don't want you to go there, hurt your arm, or, or, or maybe stressful innings early in the spring. The lineup is potent, but I've watched Japan here for three days. That, that team's a juggernaut. And, and not only do they play good, they got some pitching. They have big – and you, as you well know, the way they train, they've been probably doing this stuff since January, maybe even December. Uh, they're a scary team right now. And uh, I think we can get there with our offense, but when it gets down to real good baseball, we might have trouble with the pitchers. And nothing against the pitchers, but there's no aces there. You know, I watched Wainwright last last night. He's had a great career in St. Louis. He's short right now, and he pitched against what Great Britain. And, uh, and I, I'm trying to think who the guy that pitched for us uh, started uh, for Great Britain. Uh, yeah, I didn't see it. Vance Worley. Oh, Vance, Vance, oh, Vance Worley started. Worley pitched for, for the, Great the, the animal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to come down to pitching, and I think we might be a little short right now. Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, the stress winnings that you're talking about, like a lot of people say, well, they're going to get the same workload. They they have a pitch count. It's just like spring training. But the stressful innings, when you're playing for America, you, you're reaching for stuff that you might not have this early, right? Well, you get the bases loaded in the second inning, and there's one out. You're not thinking about a pitch count right there. You're getting out trying to get out of that jam. And like you said, your adrenaline kicks in, and you're ready to un- unleash maybe a 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball, and you're not even built up yet. That can create some issues. I mean, one of our guys came back, uh, swore a uh, ranger. You know, it, I don't think it's anything serious. He felt a little tightness, and they said, hey, come on back here. So I understand general managers that dip, to put teams together because pitching, that's a, pitching and defense, when, when it comes down to it, when you play a World Series, they're not nine to eight. It's three to two, four to three, two to one. So these general managers are saying, "Hey, I don't mind if our everyday players, because they're going to get their reps, they're going to get their at bats." But the pitchers, it's it's a different animal putting them out there this early in the spring. Uh, last question. Um, tough to get back to a World Series. I mean, I, I you look at the team and they're, they they seem equipped, but uh, what what has to happen for them to get back? Because it doesn't happen very often. We, we can't have injuries. When I say injuries, guys are going to go on the IL. We can't have a guy go out six weeks, seven weeks. We're going to, I think we're going to be okay because Harp's going to – I think Harp – this is my own opinion, I, and I don't have any inside info. I think he's coming back way before the All-Star break. That's just me and knowing uh, Harp's competitiveness. But we can't use, uh, lose people like Wheeler or Nola for any period of time. Our bullpen, to me, is a strength. We have some power arms down there. Rangers are good three. Walker, the guy we picked up, is a good bottom of the back end of the rotation. Uh, and Falter can be a, a guy that you be your fifth starter. The only thing that I would think that could hurt us is, and I don't think complacency is a word I, I would want to use, the fact that, hey, we sort of treaded water for half the season and we still got in. I don't think we can do that. we got to get out of the gate. Atlanta and the Mets are good baseball teams. There's no question in my mind. But I think top to bottom, our lineup is better than both of theirs. And like you said, it is hard to get back there. I would be very disappointed, if healthy, that we don't get back to where we were last year. All right, thanks so much to Larry Bow for sitting down talking some baseball. I always love to talk to Larry. You know, Larry and I actually work together uh, doing the Phillies postgame show, which is a, kind of another thing that uh, in my career that people forget about that I ever did. When the Channel 17 televised Phillies games, it was John Clark and I, uh, and it was Larry Boa and I doing post game show. So uh, thanks to Larry for sitting down with us at spring training. All right, it is now time for Mike Unleashed. You know, I haven't done politics in a long time, Darren. Uh, but today, I, I guess I got to uh, bring it up because uh, it hasn't happened yet, but uh, we may have an ex president in a perp walk today. 
Uh, and uh, Donald J. Trump might be in, indicted uh, for uh, fraudulent activities that involve hush money uh, paying uh, out a, a porn star to a porn star that he allegedly had sex with. I, I'm laughing because I can't make this stuff up, right? Uh, now, listen, if you have listened to me over the years, you know how I feel uh, about Trump. Uh, I mean, this man, to me, has been the scourge of this nation uh, and his popularity w- was fueled only by white nationalistic uh, uh, racism, basically. Uh, so, uh, but there is a woman out there. Her name is Joe. She tweets, and I see tweets all the time. I go through Twitter a lot, and and Joe always seems to have the right spin uh, on uh, uh, Trump follies. Uh, her, her Twitter account is Joe from Jersey. I don't know who she is, but I read her stuff all the time. And and this is what she says about this particular situation with Trump. Maybe maybe getting arrested. Now, Donald Trump isn't going to be arrested because he's disliked, although he is. It's not because he's mean spirited or small, although he is. It's not because he's a racist, sexist, xenophobe, fear mongering bigot, although he is. It's not because he's an incurious idiot, although he is. And it's not because he's a malignant narcissist, although he is. He's going to be arrested because he broke the law. Because along with being a mean-spirited, small, incurious idiot and malignant narcissist who is universally disliked, he is also a criminal. Now, I couldn't put it in, in clearer terms than Joe from Jersey. So I will just add this. I'll tag, as we say. I'll tag this. I'll say... Uh, this one man, we allowed this one man to set this country backwards in the year 2023, no less, which should be an embarrassment to us all. Uh, and then all of a sudden on the horizon, we have a mini Trump who has emerged from the Florida swamp. But I digress about DeSantis. Um, is he going to jail for banging a porn star? That's what most Republicans say. Oh, I can't believe it. Look what Clinton did. Well, no, he's. He's in tr- deeper trouble than that, and I have a laundry list. If you want to, if you want to get into the, uh, the di- dissecting the charges that could arise from these Trump investigations, uh, you start with the the bookkeeping fraud of Stormy Daniels, and then you go to the, the Mar-a-Lago documents where it's obstruction of justice, uh, uh, contempt of court, conspiracy to make a false statement, and then you go to the Georgia election law instigation, <laughs> election code violations, and the racketeering charges, uh, and, and then you go to January 6th, special day January 6th, of course, which I haven't even gotten to. So um, Joe from Jersey... Thank you for opening a channel for me to get back into political commentary. All right. So there you go. There's my political commentary for the day under the heading of Mike Unleashed. All right. Let's move on to more fun stuff now. Let's talk about Charles Barkley. Charles is a riot. And you never know what he's going to say. Sometimes the stuff he says, he means seriously until other people on the panel call him out about how ridiculous it sounds. And that's why I love him. Because he just blares on telling a story which may or may not be true, which may sound like bullshit or not. And so when he gets into a point where he starts lauding all the people that are involved with the teams of March Madness, including the equipment people. And, of course, he played for a lot of NBA teams when the equipment manager was always important, laundering uniforms, getting the uniforms together, getting the sneakers together, the whole bit. It's a very important job. And so Charles... Uh, was intent on lauding good intentions to laud the job. And then he may have gone just a little too far when he told the story about how he used to launder his own uniform. I mean, it's so much stuff that goes into this. And shout out to all the trainers also. to have And the guys who do all the uniforms, to get these uniforms cleaned up and everything. I mean, I'm so old. We used to take a shower in our uniforms because, you know, because we, we, we flew commercial my first few Wait, years. Wait, time out. There's no era where you did <laughs> Yes, it is. Stop, you're making this up. No, I'm not. There's no way that you you were supposed to wash your uniform with your own. When I first... You're making this up. I'm not making this up. Let him finish. I've no, never no, heard. No. no one in the right mind has ever done that. Let him finish. Kenny, please when do I, when let I, when finish. I, when I first... And soap, they give you soap. Let today. him finish, no, no, no. Kenny. When I first got to the NBA, we flew commercial. Yes, I, that's, that's I, accurate. I, I'm not that's disagreeing accurate. with you. So, so when that's you played the night before, 
and flew the next morning. When was you exactly going to get your uniform clean? You had to wash your uniform yourself. So after the game, when you got to your room, you took a shower in your uniform and dried and dropped on, on the commercial <laughs> airline the next day. Were you with Jed Clampett? No, That's why you had to let him finish. Come on. No. I, yeah, have you ever heard of this in your life, Clark? No. I, well, well, how are y'all cleaning y'all uniform? Y'all playing in fucking uniforms? No, no, no somebody. I'm washing the dryer yeah, or someone else. Yeah, when, you're, right. when you're flying the next morning. You can clean your uniform without showering in it. Well, that well, is that is that is possible. After you can what, actually clean it with, without showering in, in it. You don't have to have it on. Yeah, yeah. No, no, but it's easier to do it that way. It is easier to do it that way. I'm telling y'all. Let's say, let's just say that, that, that people people have to count us as being educational now. Are you? You take it off. You wash it. You put it back on. No, no it's just easier to clean that way. <laughs> All right. So there you heard the story. Kenny Smith and Clark Kellogg are calling bullshit on the story, which it, which it probably is. But some stories aren't bullshit. Like the stories he used to tell me when I would have him on to co-host one day of my radio show per year. He vowed to do that for me and do that for the audience. And he loved coming in to the studio to spend four hours. He co-hosted the show. And, of course, you remember those shows. There were some fantastic golden moments. People loved when Barkley came in to do the show. And it's a shame that we can't do it anymore. But we're trying like hell to get him to do a podcast with us. He's very busy. But we're, I swear to God, we're going to make it happen. Well, one day he told me one of the greatest stories ever. And it was about, you know, Charles at the end of Charles Sixers career was pretty miserable because they weren't a winning team. They had messed up the Darty deal and Roy Henson. He hated Roy Henson. And they were getting guys like Armand Gilliam and Charles Shackelford. Now, the one thing, Charles, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. And he doesn't like guys that don't put out effort and don't want to be players. Uh, for instance, Charles Shackelford, he told me a story once. He said uh, Charles Shackelford would get three quick fouls in the first quarter as a starting player. And on the bench, I go, dude, why are you getting fouled? He goes, oh, man, Charles, I can't, I can't, I can't play. i got to get out of the game because those people will boo me. So he said he would get intentionally in three fouls so he could sit on the bench so he wouldn't get booed for his, for his lack of acumen on a basketball floor. But the Charles Shackleford story goes further than that. One day, the Sixers owner, Harold Katz, calls a meeting after a practice because the Sixers are on a losing streak and they're not playing very well. And so Harold Katz shows up at practice. And uh, the head coach, I think Matty Gukas, says to the guys, all right, guys, he goes, listen, we're going to go to the locker room. This practice is over. Uh, Harold wants to talk to you all, so we're going to set up chairs for everybody in a semicircle in the locker room, and, and Harold would like to address each and every one of you guys. So, they, of course, they go in the locker room, and the chairs are in a semicircle, and the Sixers players are, are sitting in the semicircle. Harold Katz says, all right, you guys, I want each one of you guys to tell me what you think is wrong with this team. So he goes to the first guy. I can't remember who it was. The first guy gives the stock answer. Well, you know, Harold, I don't think we're working hard enough on defense. You know, the blah, normal answer. Second guy goes, you know, Harold, I don't think we're rebounding enough. And he goes to try get Charles, what do you think? And Charles uh, looks at him. And uh, meanwhile, Armand Gilliam and uh, Charles Shackelford haven't uh, talked yet. Um, so he goes to Charles. He goes, uh, Harold, you really want me to tell you what is wrong with this team? And uh, Howard Katz goes, of course, Charles, this is why we're here. I want your honest opinion. What do you think is wrong with this team? He goes, I'll tell you what's wrong with these team. These two motherfuckers, Shackelford and Gilliam, suck. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> so, he, so Charles says, that, that Charles says, that didn't sit well with either of them. And he says, oh, Gilliam gets up and Shackelford gets up and they charge after me. And he said, I had picked up my stool and I had to, I had him, I was warding him off like a lion tamer. <laughs> now, that's a story you just can't make up, right? And that was the beauty of Charles Barkley. These stories would just pop out of nowhere. And believe me, I've got a million of them. And hopefully, we'll rehash them when we get uh, uh, Charles back. But uh, Charles, listen, I'm going to, uh, uh, I call. I texted him the other day as the game was going on. As the studio was going on, right? I'm watching. I'm at my golf club. I'm watching. I'm like, man, he's lost. He keeps losing weight. He looks good. So I text him. He goes, I go, Chuck, man, you're looking good on TV. Did you lose a lot of weight? I go, by the way, get on that Penn State bandwagon. And he texted me right back. The show was going on. He must have texted him while like, he was off camera. And I, and I get I get an LOL back from him. 
so so uh, uh, hopefully we can make this happen where he he comes on the podcast. But hey, Charles, that's bullshit that you used to wash your uniform uh, in the shower. Come on, stop. How'd you how'd you take it off? You had to peel it off and wring it out. It's illogical. If anything, you had to take the uniform off and put it in the shower under the water when you're naked. That would be the way if you're washing something, you don't wear it. All right. Anyway, uh, let's move on to one thing that has nothing to do with sports, but near and dear to my heart. I, you know, it, it shakes me when actors that I really like die. I don't know what it is, but, you know, I've told you for a long time that the best uh, show ever is The Wire. And uh, you know, for the, you know, there's a lot of people, oh, no, it's not. I go, did you watch the whole thing? No, I didn't watch it. It's funny because white people are scared of the wire in a lot of ways. <laughs> I heard one guy say, no, that's, you know, that's too black for me. I go, what, what are you? Th-? So people like that, I like to smack him in the head. The wire is brilliantly done because it's realistic and it's written by a guy who covered that, that era of Baltimore. So it can't be any more realistic. Cedric Daniels was the character. His name was Lance Reddick. He's a tall, thin, muscle guy, and he was a, a, a police commander in it, and he was brilliant in the show, and he passed away at age 60. Can you see he was in Bosch? He was also into John Wick's uh, uh, stories, and I'm, like, stunned. I mean, first, it was Omar, who was my favorite character ever, and now Cedric Daniels goes down, and, you know, when you, you, you see people like that, there's so much a part of your life, and I guess my favorite show of all time, and two of the great actors in it have passed away at a very young age, so I, I just wanted to to throw that out there. All right. It is now time uh, for three questions for Mike. That's Mike Unleashed for today. Three questions for Mike. I, I don't know the questions. They haven't been presented to me. So this is like when we used to do sound off. It's fresh reaction for me when Darren asked me the three questions for Mikey Miss. Go ahead, Darren. Yeah, three questions for Mikey Miss. By the way, Lance Reddick also in Lost. Do you remember? Did you ever watch Lost? No. Matthew Fox was in that? He was, yeah. He's from what, Abington, I think? Yeah, I interviewed Matthew Fox. Yeah, he's from like Abington. I interviewed Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox was in um, We Are Marshall also. He was. And, and I interviewed him on a junket in L.A. Uh, for CN8. <laughs> I interviewed Sylvester Stallone for uh, Balboa. Uh, and I interviewed uh, Matthew Fox for We Are Marshall along with Matthew McConaughey. Matthew Fox, who was in Lost literally cried in my interview with him why he he was portraying he was portraying the coach who didn't get on the plane and instead got into a car to do more recruiting and therefore escaped death and he got so into it close to this guy that when he was telling the story of him portraying that guy his name was red something i forget what his name was but he had red hair uh he, he literally weeped his eyes swelled welled up with tears and tears were coming out of his eyes as I was doing the, the interview with Matthew Fox. Well, anyway, that's just an aside. Yeah, he's a local guy. I want to say Abington or something. But um, no, no, Matthew Fox? Yeah, I think he's from, from this area. No, I, he played football at Columbia. I thought he was. All right, my mistake. All right, here we go. Onward and upward to three questions from Mikey Miss. Mike, World Baseball Classic. I love these games. We talked about it earlier. What do you think is bigger to grow the game of baseball globally right now the pitch clock and some of these changes that they've made or this world baseball classic tournament bigger to grow the game of baseball right now i I don't think the game of baseball can be grown (laughs) i I really don't i think it's already grown in the countries that like you know the the teams like italy like you're never going to grow the game to the extent that they grow it they've grown it in mexico or dominican republic or cuba or uh, uh, Puerto Rico or the United States, uh, like you saw, Team Italy, like they, they can't compete. Uh, so it, 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 it's nice that the World Baseball Club, but it's going to be dominated by the countries that play it all the time. And I, I don't think the other. It's like America not catching up to soccer. It, it's just it, there are some things that just aren't going to happen. And there's not enough baseball played in these other obscure countries. Like you know, China is not going to be playing baseball enough to compete. Uh, Australia is never, they, I mean, they have a pro league, but they're not going to be ever good enough to compete. So I don't think any one has to do with the other. Do I like the pitch clock? Yeah, I like it. Do I like the world baseball classic? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I hope it has an impact, but I, I think those other countries are so far behind compared to what the United States and baseball is and what the Dominican Republic in baseball is and what Cuba, where, where they really play it. And, uh, you know, for those uh, Island countries and, and Mexico countries, 
you know, that's a way to, to really enhance their lives, to get out and, and, and find that jewel where they can get into the major leagues and make some money uh, and escape the, the countries that they're in where there's not much opportunity for them. All right, that's question number one. Question number two, Michael, we were in Clearwater. We were in the locker room one morning, and uh, you and James Harrison had kind of a funny – you guys were shooting the shit – had a, uh, kind of a funny conversation about sneakers. You guys were going back and forth on sneaker brands. In fact, it ended up with both of you at the same time. You got good taste. You both said at the same time. And uh, so I want to ask you, what it, well, tell that story, if, if, you know, and then what is the Miss Sinelli preferred brand of sneaker? Yeah, Josh Harrison is in the corner locker. And I notice uh, I got a pair of sneakers that nobody has. And I thought they were so unique. And I got them. And they're low-cut Jordans with a black patent leather top and kind of a light blue gummy sole. Uh, and they're sweet. Uh, and they're they're low they're low low uh, top sneakers. So I I look at Josh Harrison and inside of his locker he's got the sneaker in a high version. He's got the high top Jordans with the patent leather toe. And I go, dude, I I said I got the same sneakers in low. Where'd you get those high tops? I didn't. I'm, I never saw saw those high tops. So we got into a conversation about sneakers and uh, we know what kind of sneakers he likes. And so we bonded over sneakers. Now that's a good entry point. Now we didn't have time to interview Josh Harrison, but that's a, that's the type of guy entry point where uh, for you young kids at home, <laughs> want to interview somebody, right? If you could find a common ground and get into a conversation that loosens it up, then the guy trusts you a little bit. And then he, he's willing to, you know, give up some stuff for your, for your questions. So I, I just wanted to have a casual conversation. I didn't, there was no end to the means there. I just would comment on his sneakers, and I found that a fun conversation that he had that same sneaker. So he thought it was as unusual as I did, and he had to have it. And that's what I do when I look at sneakers. Uh, you know, I, I, my brand, Nike produces more variety of sneakers than anybody these days. And if you look at Nike.com, there's always new uh, designs that are coming out, and I'm a sucker for them. And like right now, I'm wearing these turbos that have this gum sole, this light blue gum sole, uh, which are really cushiony, and I love them. But uh, I like the turbos right now. I like the '97s. Now the '97s are a sneaker that, um, if you remember, Little Nas X produced that sneaker that had the, the vampire blood in them. Well, they they were Nike '97s. They were just redesigned for Little Nas X. The 97 is a classic sneaker, and then the Nike 270C is a classic. So if I'm if I'm looking at those kind of designs, they have them in multicolors. That those are my go-to for right now. There you go, I'm a Nike guy and Under Armour myself. And I got my basketball shoes are LeBron's. Oh, they are. I got LeBron, LeBron. basketball shoes. There you, go. there you go. All right. Question number three, Mike. It's spring. What's that? and you're an outdoorsman. You take care of your yard. You have a garden. Uh, what is the Missinelli Spring protocol for outdoors, for the backyard? The protocol meaning what? Like, yeah, like do, when you get the garden started, when you get. Uh, uh, yeah, the garden, I've been I've been um, uh, uh, hoeing it um, almost on a daily basis to, to aerate it, to get some air through there uh, and prepared for the planting of the spring. Um, you, you're not supposed to plant your tomatoes until May. Because uh, uh, April still can get a little chilly. You don't want to put them in too early. So May 1st, uh, I'll have the soil cultivated. I'll dump some compost in there. I'll put some peat moss. I'll till it. I'll get it nice and loose. I'll get it nice and airy. Uh, and then I'll have it ready for my... I'm not sure what I'm going to plant this year. Uh, I may... You know, I've, I've planted a lot of tomatoes in the past. They haven't produced a bumper crop. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my soil... I think I'm stressing out my soil. So I'm only going to go five tomato plants this year, and then maybe a little Swiss chard, uh, maybe a little long hot peppers. I'm going to keep it simple this year and just just kind of focus on on developing a crop of things that I can rely on. And otherwise, my backyard is my sanctuary. You know, you see, I got that little patio there with the hot tub, and I usually go out there with the dog, throw the ball, but also I'll smoke a cigar, have a nice glass of wine out there. That's what I do in the backyard. Yeah, it's a nice yard. I've been out there. Had a, yeah. We've had a few cigars out there with you. Yeah, so it's a good. That's a good. Uh, yeah, I always know that May is the the date for tomatoes as well. Most plants, really. Most yeah. uh, vegetables you want to get there in May. So there you go. That's three questions for Mikey Miss. All right. Uh, now it is time for it's. We create segments on, on the, uh, this show all the time. So um, I, I've got a couple of uh, it, it, the segment is called domestic dilemmas of the day. 
And this is where I bring Darren in because Darren's very domesticated. He's been married for like 100 years. He's, he's like 40 years old, but he's been married for 45. And he's got two grown daughter, daughters that are in high school now. They're athletes. Uh, and, you know, you got the you got the situations with the wife. I, yeah. I don't have a currently I don't have a wife that I don't, so I don't have these domestic situations. <laughs> but, I, but I know your your input would be uh, exceptional on, on this type of thing. All right. So let me let me just uh, go over dilemma one and now go over dilemma number two. And again, this is domestic dilemmas of the day because we try to make this podcast well versed. It's not a podcast strictly about sports. It's about life. And of course, these domestic situations are about life. So uh, here here is the question. From a guy, my girlfriend is buying a house, and I feel it's a statement that she doesn't trust me or believe in us. We're in our thirties. We've been dating for two years. We've talked about marriage. Um, I'm not ready to get engaged because I see so many people getting divorced. I want to make very sure that we're right for each other. And I think if we live together for a year or two and all is well, then it would be time to get engaged. Neither of us is worried about kids right now. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that's okay. I said we should find a new place, not move into one or the other's apartment. She agreed, but then she sprung this house purchase on me. Now, I will be living there, but it will be 100% her house. And I believe that, that she is doing this because she's feeling a lack of trust in our relationship. And this is a sign that she doesn't believe we'll ever get married. And I'm kind of offended by it. Darren, your interpretation of this. Dude's got to grow up. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's her. If she wants to buy the house, let her buy the house. Never hold a woman back with something she really wants to do. I mean, that's a, that's a surefire way to push her away. I, let her buy the house. You want to, If she wants, she asks you to live there with her, then you offer to pay rent or pay part of the mortgage. And kick in with the bills. Well, that's the thing. She doesn't want him to pay anymore. She wants this to be her own project. That's what he's bothered about, that they didn't buy the house together. Well, no, I'm not saying he has to be, like, on the deed. I'm just saying you 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 throw money in. You're living there with her. You should be throwing money in towards the monthly bills. That's what a, a uh, responsible boyfriend would do. You really want to marry this girl. You're not just going to sit there and let her pay by the house and you just sit there with your feet up and and not kick in anything financially but you know he shouldn't be slighted that she wants to buy a house if she wants to buy the house that's fantastic if they end up getting married then he goes in the, in the house on the deed at that point anyway or she says uh, sorry uh, this is my house get out and you got nothing no proprietary right at all that's right hey, that's that's life man you know you gotta you gotta grow up all right okay there you go that's darren's interpretation of uh domestic dilemma number one domestic dilemma number two is a little heavier oh boy married couple you've got a couple kids okay. they're below 10 years old the husband finds out that the children are not his. What? Biologically. Do you know this guy? Yes. Oh, my God. She's been married to the guy. They have the kid. He's been raising the kids as a married couple with her. He finds out that biologically they are not his children. What's the move, Mr. Domestic? Oh, my God. You got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> um, Jesus. I don't. Oh. God, that's awful, man. I mean, first of all, well, I mean, first of all, you, you're getting a divorce. <laughs> I'm getting a divorce. I mean, right away. Um, but, you know, it, it's tough to say. I don't know how emotionally attached he is to these kids. Obviously, he's, he has to be. Look, there's. I'm different than a lot of dads my age. You're all tied up in knots. You're you're stu you're a stumbling muttering bastard right now. You know how I am with my girls. Like they're my like I I'm very involved with their lives every day. I That's what I'm asking you. What do you do? What's your move? Let's go. I think if you're oh, You're like spider. I think I I think I would continue to to uh if I love the kids, I would continue to to take care of them in some way, but I could not be married to the woman anymore. That's for damn sure. I would have to divorce her, but I, I would be happy to continue to uh, to look after the kids and financially support them and raise them. Uh -huh. well, what about the biological father who now uh, has been introduced as the children's real father? Then what? What are you going to battle with him the whole time? Well, at, at this point, if they're you know, obviously he wants no part of them. 
Just, just, just bio. You're not telling me if the biological father wants in on the kid. No, no, he did. He no, he did, apparently he didn't know. Now that he knows, he wants in. Oh, they're his kids. I mean, I, I, unfortunately, it's absolute heartbreak for the guy who's been raising them. Boy, man, I hope he's got some good friends to lean on. Because that's just you tell me you know this guy. We got to talk about this. No, I don't know who it is. This is a random situation that I read about. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I'm telling you. Uh, yeah, I, you, you have to move on. If he wants in, if he if the biological father wants in, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot he can do. There's an awful lot of heartbreak down the road for this guy. I hope he has good friends, but certainly, you're. I'm not. I'm moving on from the from the marriage. Uh, but if the biological father is no longer like he, he still continues to not want to be in the picture, then if you love the kids, then you continue to support them and continue to raise them because you love them. Okay, that's why it's called the domestic dilemma. Of the day, Jeez. there you go. Right. Uh, you know, every now and then we'll we'll get involved in uh, in heaviosity like this uh, for back in the day. You ruined my day. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> about yes. this poor bastard yes. all day. Yes, we, we, yes, we we have ended on a bright, cheery note. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right. I think that's going to close it down for our Tuesday podcast. Thanks for listening to the Mike Masnelli podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Uh, make your bets. Uh, listen, coming. It's a sweet sixteen now, man. It is a sweet sixteen, and, and uh, I'll tell you, I you know this this NCAA tournament ha- has been uh, uh, fabulous, and and I love it. Uh, my my team Marquette went out uh, very weakly. Purdue went out very weakly. Uh, I will say one thing about the NCAA tournament. Um, these uh, I I have two uh, really two views of this. The the number one seeds aren't as powerful as they used to be, and the lower seeds are a little more powerful than they used to be, which makes an interesting dynamic. But when you see what's happening here, when the higher seed plays a lower seed, and the lower seed plays like their hair's on fire, they have absolutely nothing to lose, and thank God they have coaches that set them up where the moment's not too big for them. They compete. Once they compete and they stay close to the higher-ranked team, the higher-ranked team's butthole shrinks and you can see it all over the place. The pressure on those guys because they know they're supposed to win. Everybody's told them they're supposed to win. The NCAA committee has told them they're supposed to win because they've given them a higher seed. And once they get into a game, they, you can just see it. They freeze up, and so do the coaches. There is no way that Purdue should have lost to that team. There's no way that Arizona should have lost that. No way Virginia should have lost. All those teams, they got squeezed out. And, and, and here we are now. And even Marquette. You know, I, Marquette and Michigan State, they weren't ready for Michigan State's physicalness. And so here we have the Sweet 16. Now, for us, we got nothing. But I'm all in on the women's NCAA tournament because the Villanova Wildcats are playing on when? Friday? Yeah, I believe I so. believe they play Friday in their next game. So maybe the Cats can get to the to the Final Four they're probably not as strong as South Carolina or UConn uh, or, or probably another team in there. But getting to the Final Four would make it a, a pretty decent season for Villanova, even though their men's basketball team uh, did not do very well. Uh, all right, so Thursday we'll talk more about that and more about the NCAA tournament with the great Jay Wright. He'll join us on Thursday. Mark that down on your calendar. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget, you can email me, mike at mikemiss.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Miss 25. And don't forget, the weather's warming up. How about a trip down to Cape May Courthouse to visit the great Natalie Vineyards and sit and have a, a glass of wine with your significant other? Beautiful in our beautiful wine tasting room. As it gets warmer, we're going to have our fire pits out there. You sit around in Adirondack chairs. There's nothing better. I love the life. Have a great rest of the day, everybody. Have a great rest of the week. We will talk to you Thursday. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.